Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast, a weekly look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter here at Ed Surge, a national publication covering the future of education. Did you happen to see that Melissa McCarthy movie last year where a mother drops off her daughter at college and after some unexpected personal setbacks, she ends up going back to school herself? Of course, attending a sorority party in a mom sweater is, is one of the gags, as this grown-up is clearly shown to be a fish out of water in higher education. So this is the latest version of a movie that Hollywood just keeps making about every generation. And it represents a narrative that never seems to go away about what college should look like. But the reality is very different. That mom going back to school is no longer some rogue outsider, but the mainstream when you look at who goes to college these days. True, working adult students are not showing up at sorority parties so much, and they're mostly studying online or or using new models that colleges have built for them in the last few decades. But our guest today argues that these students are the answer to how our society will adjust to the coming robot age and to solve the skills gaps that employers talk about. Adult students are not the exception that we somehow have to create special programs for. All of us have to see them as actually a fundamental solution to a lot of the problems we have in our society. That's Marie Cheney, president of the Council for Adult and Experiential Learning, or CAIL, a group working to support programs for these so-called non-traditional students. In other words, the real-life versions of that character played by Melissa McCarthy. Cheney has been in that role for about nine months, so she's just starting to implement her vision for how this organization can shift the cultural narrative and help colleges get better at serving this huge group of learners. And she even had a film recommendation for us, one that she says does a better job of reflecting the realities that students face today. I sat down with Marie Cheney earlier this month in San Diego at the ASU GSV Summit, a conference that brought together thousands of education, technology, and business leaders. We stream the session live from the conference, so you're going to hear some of the hubbub in the background. Here are highlights of that conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jeff. Always a pleasure. So I'm really curious. Mm-hmm. You have been a longtime advocate for serving adult students. Correct. You know, this, this idea of reminding mm-hmm. people that the college student is not just that person you close your eyes and picture who's 18 to 22. Correct. I'm wondering, since you've been in this space for so long, right. what are some things that are different now than five, ten years ago in maybe awareness and how well adults are being served with, with online and other digital tools? Sure. So even five or ten years ago, I think that um, there was still this sense that adults were the exception, yeah. that there was something different. I mean, the standard way to go to college was when you know, you're 18 to 22, and if you didn't, there was something wrong, and we had to do some tactical things to, to help you sort of move back into that same model. But uh, part of what's changing is the pace of change itself. And so now I think it's very clear to most people that the typical student is the non-traditional student. This, so it's not the Rodney Dangerfield, that old, old movie, went no, back to school, where no. it's this grown-up, the, and it's so weird. In the fraternity. Yes, But, but they yes. still make movies like this. They they're, do, I guess. You know, yeah, yeah there have been new ones. No, no, but it's the same. It's the same Rodney Dangerfield movie that they keep making over and over again. Uh, Melissa McCarthy was in the latest one, right? Oh, Where right. she? What was that one called? Uh, I, I don't know if it was night school, but she went back and joined yeah, a sorority. And right, it, it is that sense of college is a very specific thing, yeah. doing very specific. Thing. You're in the, living in the residence hall. You're partying. You have four years in and out. 
um, to this this new sense that most people are not going to live in the residence hall, even traditional age students. And college has to fit your life. You might not do it all at one time. You might purposely start with a certificate and then move up the chain as you go on. So it's just, I, I think the sense that it's really a very different world now. And, and most institutions, even if they don't know how to do it, they're trying to serve the adult non-traditional student uh, far better than ever before. So that's a positive, I suppose. Yeah. The narrative is changing a little bit, although there's still yes. like in the Melissa McCarthy movie. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, but how have the tools and, and resources changed for that? Do you think there's a better... Yeah. Is it a lot better as far as... <clears throat> well... I think there are more options. I, I don't know if it's a lot better. But I have to figure out what the scale is yeah, for that, right? A lot better. Anyway, well, first you have the growth of large um, adult-serving institutions that focus on those non-traditional students. So it used to be, you know, my former employer was University of Maryland, University College. Sure. We were one of just a handful that really focused on adult students. Now you've got Western governors, you've got, you know, Southern New Hampshire that's really reached out. Tens of thousands of students. They've really got Tens, a way over, they were yeah. like way over 100,000 now. And UMUC is pretty big. UMUC is like closing on 90,000. And yeah. Southern so New Hampshire, mega the mega online universities are here. And we knew they were coming. Purdue Global yeah. is now taking off. Um, and so those are, and I'm not saying other options aren't, but those are some very big options for adults. Um, more institutions, whether they're small colleges or larger, they're going online. They're thinking about even competency-based degrees. They're at least offering courses in the evening and on the weekends. Um, and so, you know, which is like the least you need to do for adult students. So um, I think there are more options, but um, the, tr the, the typical university or college they have to think in terms of transformation because what they do now, it's all built around the, the you know, the fraternity, sorority, like having a party for four years, even if that's a myth, um, rather than how do you actually create from scratch educational models that better serve our, our vast number of non-traditional students. So I, I did want to ask, since you have kind of getting to the point where you're getting your, your feet really on the ground at Kale. Right. You and I have talked, you mentioned that your your goal is to really change that place and, and its options and to make it a Kale 2.0, I think you said? Sure. What does that mean? Like how, what, and maybe yeah. remind people what, what the Council for Experiential <clears throat> Sure. So, so Kale, Council for Adult and Experiential, you almost did it, it to me, yeah. I, I got it. Adult and Experiential Learning. And that's okay. One time somebody introduced me as the Council for Adult and Experimental Learning, which I kind of like though, yeah, actually. <laughs> so it's a wonderful organization um, that started in the 70s with a group of faculty who really cared about adults. Okay. And they created... Oh, it's been around for, for decades then. The, yeah. It's been around for decades. And they created this rigorous methodology to help adults take their informal college-level learning. So the learning you get from your job, the learning you get from life. So, look, we have many adults who just never finished an undergraduate degree, but they become a vice president of marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, they have the equivalent of a major in marketing. So do we really want to make them come back to college and, like, redo the major in marketing, or could we find ways to help them translate that into college credit. And that's what the roots of Kale really were, this prior learning assessment methodology. And it's really based on this really nice model by David Kolb about experiential learning and how you extract 
true learning from your experience based on reflection and connecting it with some theory, et cetera. Um, and so that was the beginning. And it was also at a time, and this is really important for how kale needs to change now, uh, they were very much knocking on the door of higher ed. Higher ed in the 70s wasn't thinking about adults. They were just trying to serve all of the boomer generation coming up that were truly 18. There was a big boom of, of students huge. in the traditional seats. Yes, yeah. huge, huge. Yeah. And so adults were just like, you know, no, no attention was really being paid to them. There were a couple of universities that did get started at that time, though, to serve adults. You know, Thomas Edison, Empire State, yeah. uh, Charter Oaks, the, they came from the 70s as well. But they were like these smaller, I don't know, kind of more, they were a little experimental and they did a lot with prior learning assessment. But over time, um, Kale really did start moving into other areas. So working with employers to do advising for adult students who were getting tuition assistance. Um, working with uh, workforce regions to help them think through their skills gaps and how adult students could actually help them, um, you know, create or get uh, sort of move up in terms of their learning so that they could fill some of those gaps. And in higher ed, Kale actually over time has thought through how do we help how do we help institutions serve adults better. Well, and, and honestly, so what, what, yeah, what is the next plan? What's the next for, plan? For yeah. Kale 2.0. I mean, what do you, so that all sounds good. So what's wrong with that mission? What, what, what's yeah. next? So I think two things. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's a, I wouldn't be here if I, look, <laughs> I've worked with Kale for every, every decade that I've been in higher ed past my doctorate. Right. And have run four PLA programs over time. And the care and the mission and the work that Kale has done has always been really good for adult students. But we're at a point now where everybody in this room, everybody out there knows mm -hmm. that today's student is the adult non-traditional student. Mm -hmm. um, the number of traditional college students going to school with Rodney Dangerfield, it's, it's shrinking. Mm. And if you look ahead, we, should, we shouldn't be thinking about, well, but when those students come back, then we don't have to worry about adults. No, no, no. This idea of the 60-year curriculum that we're all going to live 100, 150 years in the future, um, we need a continuous process so that all adults are learning and in careers and learning again and going back to careers. So Kale now needs to focus on what I would call the strategy and the next level of, of where we find ourselves in our society and our economy. Mm -hmm. So strategic level, we are in the midst of things. What we think about, what we do, is it, we're right in the middle of the action. Mm -hmm. We're not knocking on the door of higher ed anymore. Mm -hmm. We're not saying, you guys have to pay attention to adults. In fact, higher ed knows it needs to, to serve more adults. And I think for good reasons, because of the way most higher ed has been developed, they're really trying to figure out how do we do that better. I see. So, and so, so it's, and, but if I'm understanding you correctly, it's also not just, it's, a, it's an even bigger group of adults because it might even be professionals coming oh, back again and again. Absolutely. And it's beyond higher ed. And so I said mm. the roots of, of kale were in higher ed. But if you really think about today's economy, in order to solve some of our skills gap problems and, and help people prepare for the coming, you know, robot age that yeah. we're all worried about, mass unemployment, 
uh, higher ed has to be working with employers and has to be working with workforce and economic development to groups. And not just community colleges or some sectors have already been doing this, but... Right. Everybody does. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Four-year schools, um, even elite schools. Look, if you, if you have a... Obviously, even if you're... I shouldn't say Felicity Huffman, but... Even if you are a exactly the admission scandal folks, they they wanted to get their kids into good schools so that they will have a successful future. Every parent wants that, and and they want their kids to be able to get a good job at the end. They don't want them to just go off and have a four year sort of party or think great thoughts. And so, the way our society is moving, we have to have all sectors working together to really see, and, I, and I've been using this phrase too, adult students are not the exception that we somehow have to create special programs for. All of us have to see them as actually a fundamental solution to a lot of the problems we have in our society. Hmm. We have skills gaps. <coughs> Guess what? There are a lot of adult learners out there with, with some extra training, extra education. They could actually fill those skills gaps. Right. Employers need Employees that will stay, well, we need to help you think through how to upskill your employees as a retention strategy. Higher ed needs to think about how to better serve adult students. Um, It's kind of like the name of the game. Adult students are where it's at, and it will be this way forever now. This special time (coughs) when it was just 18 to 22, I really think that period is over. That was very much a, 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 it was the 50s, 60s, 70s. Sort of a demographically demographically driven. Exactly. So I'm, I'm really curious because um, one thing that you've been involved in and certainly a lot of our, our viewers and listeners have been involved in is, or watching is competency-based education. Sure. CBE to its friends, I guess, sometimes. And I, I don't hear as much about that these days. And I wonder, is that because maybe there is a little bit less activity in that space and maybe, that, maybe in a way other things that have come along maybe are filling that need or gap that it was working on or yeah. or is it happening in what is the state of of some of that competency based ed right now well a good uh, you know kale is collaborating with a lot of really quality other organizations and the cben organization the council for uh, or competency based education network okay uh, charlotte long is the uh, the head of that the ceo so they're still very much working on quality standards on, with the schools, there's about 300 of them, I think, that are actively running uh, so it's competency. Happening. It's happening. But I think like MOOCs, there's always that hype cycle. So oh, yeah. the and first it was year, hyped a couple years ago, though. Oh, CBE. CBE was hugely hyped, and then and then it has to settle into. All right, so it's actually hard work. You can't just like throw a program together. Right. And I think what we're seeing now is it's going to be the just a another modality that many institutions will be either developing or making part of their program. Um, So it's definitely moving forward. It just isn't, it's kind of like online. Everybody is doing online now. It's not like a big hype anymore. But at first, it was going to change the world. Well, it didn't. It's just a part of what you need to do if you're going to serve all of your students. And I think competency-based really kind of has moved into that arena. It's still happening. It's just quiet. Okay, we're going to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about another podcast you might like. The show is Teaching in Higher Education by Bonnie Stahoviak. You might already have heard of it. It just recently hit a milestone of 250 episodes and over a million downloads. So it's one of the pioneers in the education podcast space. But if you don't know it, you should definitely check it out. I'm lucky enough to get to work with Bonnie a bit um, since she writes an advice column about teaching for, for EdSurge here. 
And she brings a rich and thoughtful perspective to, to the topic. So check out Teaching in Higher Education wherever you listen. Okay, now back to our conversation with Marie Cheney. So I guess one of the things, though, there have always been skepticism about CBE. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, even though people are doing it, and there is, even on this kind of kind of giving credit for stuff that you've already learned, there's a little right. bit of a... You can sense sometimes when people are first explaining this idea that it's like, really? Like, don't we all think we know a lot? You know, I know people mm-hmm. that think they know a lot. Some of them do know a right. lot. Right, yeah, don't. some don't. How do you, and how do you... How do you build a, you know, I guess that's one of the questions is there was, and there was a couple years ago, the, um, you know, the, there was a government report that found that, you know, one of these CBA programs needed more face time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Western governors. And, and then there was a reversal of that this year. Right. So there's been this debate ongoing about like, you know, is it, is it really doable? Yeah. Has that been settled yet? Well, it wasn't FaceTime. It was substantive interaction. Substan- I'm sorry. Excuse me. It's FaceTime right. is the wrong word. No, no, Substantive it's interaction, okay. but really what that means is having some contact with the faculty, right? And they, wow, this is one. We could talk for three hours. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so maybe we should. But no, I mean, what it comes down to is we have a very set model in our head yeah. about what teaching and learning looks like. Right. And it looks like a faculty member standing in front of a group of students lecturing, maybe having a discussion but, but we believe that the learning happens because of the back and forth, right? And, and my lecturing and telling you these great thoughts. The truth is we know that's not really how people learn best. Um, in fact, it's one of the worst ways. Mm. So even when we're having an active discussion, we know from research that usually only a small percentage of the students are actively involved. Everybody else is passive and kind of checked out. The more active you're learning, the more you learn. And so, in fact... It could be that an instructor, a faculty member, might appear not to be actively engaged, but it's because they've architected or developed a very active learning model that you're learning a lot and you're learning with your peers. And I only come in when you need me. You're the professor just occasionally. Exactly. Yeah. So so with competency-based education, that's often how it is. There's often a faculty member who has sort of designed the whole model, so there's, you know, the content in it. And they often have you know, some sort of coach or, you know, even a peer mentor. So there's a lot of active learning going on. But if you go by the strict definition of substantive interaction, it's I'm the teacher, you're the student, and we have this back and forth. Right. Um, and I would ask you to think back to your college days. How many of us had substantive interaction even in that classroom with our instructor? Did we really have that? Kind, you know, probably not. Um, and so... That was that issue, and I know that people all thought that meant the end of Western governors, and really it was just, it was truly just a, it was the definition of substantive interaction, which has, of course, been debated over and over again. We have to change how we think about learning and what good learning is. And it's, it's a combination of things, and it doesn't mean that a faculty member is not necessary, should go away, but we need to help faculty understand what is good learning and how do they facilitate it. And it's very different than like a federal definition often. Yeah, I wonder, I guess it's, it is one of those things that I think has, I feel like I still hear about it as a non-settled issue. Yeah. And it is, it's hard to change these kind of narratives and you may have people that genuinely would disagree still about. I agree. About there would whether, be people who would say I was. What is teaching? Yeah. That's right. But I'm here being interviewed so I get to give you the opinion. <laughs> Please share your but, opinion. Um, but, but no. And so I think that this is one of the big um issues that we're going to have to solve, which is 
we have really thought about college culture as teaching. And, I, and I've been saying to my folks for a while, whenever I have a team, um, in colleges, we're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to do two things really well in the future. One is the assessment of your learning already. Mm-hmm. Because more and more people come to us with prior learning, even if it's they went to the community college or they went to you know college X for three years, dropped out, and now they're coming to finish at college Y. So it isn't just the informal learning, it's right. prior credits, et cetera. And we know there's been a shift there. So it, it, there, it used to be very common that if I transferred to another college, they would say, we take none of those credits. Sure. You have to learn everything here. It wasn't done here, so we don't accept it. As Not in our, exactly. Yeah. And now that is, you know, there are states that are saying, no, hey, if you're a community college, uh, four-year schools have to take those credits. And okay. there's a lot of this articulation crosswalk. I think the next frontier is this informal learning mm-hmm. or learning that occurs outside of the traditional classroom and how do we really measure those competencies and give students credit because again non-traditional students often come with it. I'm not saying we should trust just because you say you know a lot, Jeff. Okay. But what, you know, especially with future assessments and technology that we're, that are being built and talked about right now, there will be a way to assess what you know much more easily. And it might be immersive assessment um, within some kind of virtual reality, right? I mean, that will make it happen. But it, it's a conversation that has to happen and something that have to shift. But 20 years ago, you would have been asking me, well, how do we know that students learn as much online as they do face-to-face? Sure. We would have had the same conversation. And over time, the research showed that, in fact, it's as equal as sometimes better. Um, and then it becomes accepted across the mainstream. But but it's a big river to cross right now, this idea. Well, honestly, is there anything else you want to add on um, maybe your favorite Rodney Dangerfield movie? No, I'm kidding. Or Melissa <laughs> McCarthy movie. Or what is a good movie about higher ed? Like, what's the uh, movie we should have? What is the what is the cultural representation that gets it right? Yeah, see, <laughs> right. So or is it not made yet? I think it's not made yet. And actually, nobody would want to watch it because it's actually pretty um, boring. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'm going to put a plug in, a serious plug for a film called Unlikely. Okay. Unlikely. And it was a, it grant, a documentary. It's a, a documentary. It was un, it was funded by some um, foundations, and uh, Kale. While Kale didn't have anything to do with actually developing it, it really is the story of why Kale cares so much about adult and non-traditional students. And so it is a story of I think three or four students that try to go through college when they were in a traditional age and then how our current college systems and university systems failed them Um, because maybe they ran out of money. Maybe they needed childcare. One young woman was going to be a doctor and she got, she had a child and, you know, had to stop out and there was no way to continue in college. And so over and over again, that there were barriers put in the way of these students mm-hmm. that if we had a more flexible system, if we had colleges and universities that thought about workplace learning that allowed students to maybe go through competency-based or PLA, they could have had a better outcome. And uh, it is a sobering look. And so that is the movie that needs to be made as our new cultural representation. Unfortunately, though, it's a little sad. It's not funny. These, these right. folks didn't have a chance to join a sorority or fraternity, right? They had a very serious real life, and they still needed the college around it. And we have to understand 
So if you see unlikely, and I'm putting in an unabashed pitch for this, it's a documentary, that's the reality of college students today. If we can get that message out there, it's very important. Well, thank you for joining us. I'll leave it at that. Sure. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Jeff. And, and- this has been the Ed Surge On Air Podcast. Um, thanks for putting up with my voice this week. I've got a bit, bit of a, a seasonal allergy. Happy spring. You can find past episodes and transcripts at our show page, bit.ly slash edsurgepod. That's bit.ly slash edsurgepod. Or you can find us on whatever podcast app you use to listen. If you like the show, please take a minute to give us a rating. That really does help others find us. Kind of boosts us in the rankings, you know. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. Special thanks this week to Shindig, which streamed the conversation that you just heard live at ASU GSV. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of learning. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.